HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is so excited to have the first episode of Tech Bites for 2023. Episode 1, 2023, it's actually episode number 282, is the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for 2023. I love starting the year with this topic. I love starting the year with this list for so many reasons, starting with TechBytes' actual episode 1 back in January of 2015 was the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for 2015. Um, so it's a nice, it's a nice touchstone. It's a story we've been following for, oh, seems like lots of years now. <laughs> but it's also great because the editors at Forbes do a lot of work and look at a lot of companies and a lot of people and a lot of founders and a lot of trends. And it's a really great way to set up the year and see what we are looking at and what we can expect. So this is a, a fun favorite episode of mine. And we also get to hear some familiar friends and voices. We have Kristen Stoller, who is the editor of Forbes 30 Under 30 list. She's a returning guest. Kristen, nice to have you. Great. Thanks. And nice to be here. And we have her uh, cohort collaborator on this, Chloe Servino, who's writer on at Forbes, and she covers specifically food and ag, which is also great. Uh, Chloe, nice to have you back again. Always thrilled to be here. So the two of you also have like great personal things that are happening, which we'll just talk about a little bit because it's the friends and family part of the show. Um, Kristen's now the editor of the whole section, and you're also getting ready to drop a Europe list. Yes, yeah. So I took over as editor of the whole under 30 list um, in April of 2022 of last year. So all of it, all the categories... 
all the categories, which is really exciting. I've been working on the list uh, since I started at Forbes in 2016. Started with the finance list uh, and then moved on with Chloe to do the to the food and drink list. Um, and now I oversee our North America list and our Europe list. Um, and our Europe list for 2023 is coming out in March. So stay tuned for that. That's amazing. How many categories are there now? So in North America, we have 20 categories. And in Europe, we have 10. Amazing. And for North America, what, how, many, how many companies are you looking at um, across all those categories, roughly? Ooh, that's, that's a great question. So theoretically, um, because, you know, with 30 people on each list and 20 companies, it's supposed to be, you know, roughly uh, 600 companies or people. But we typically, I think this year we had 800, 890-ish people physically wow. on the list. Um, just, you know, we include co-founders as one mm -hmm. entry. Um, and we got over 12,000 nominations just for North America. That's unbelievable. That's um, a, that's a lot of huge. email to go through. Yes, <laughs> very much. Thank goodness for our wonderful interns this summer who helped us go through those as well. But we do look at every one. That's exciting. Well, we'll have to maybe talk about having you come back for Europe and see what's happening over there because, yes. you know, tech, tech across the pond is always fun. Oh, Absolutely. And Chloe, who I will say that I actually got to meet in person this year, or I, I guess at the end of last year, I think it was December or December. It was so wonderful seeing you. It was really a surprise. We were at this food tech event um, down in Soho and I ran into her. We got to meet each other just coincidentally because she was one of the uh, featured happenings at this event where there was a little fireside chat with her because she just published a book yes oh my gosh that salon was wild I mean <laughs> when you when your book has a salon thrown in its honor I mean what what more is there you know um that Soho loft space was crazy yeah. it was so packed it was so it was wonderful very to fun. see you there mm. it was a very fun event my book, Raw Deal, Hidden Corruption, Corporate Greed, and the Fight for the Future of Meat has been out just a little over a month now, but we've been having some amazing events around New York and about to head on over to the West Coast. That's exciting. Uh, where will you be on the West Coast and how can people find out about maybe their opportunity to meet you in person? Yeah, I'm going to do some signings in Seattle next week, and then I'll be in Charleston in February, a few more events in New York City and Brooklyn in February. Um, I'll be in LA doing a bunch of events in March and then also doing South by Southwest and other stuff in Austin in March too. Oh, that's exciting. Are you posting these things on Instagram or a site for your book or where can people find information? Everywhere. Yes. But Instagram at C Sorvino, Twitter at Chloe Sorvino, my newsletters, all of it. Fantastic. So, so far 2023 is shaping up great. We love this. Super busy already. Woo. So Kristen and Chloe, what, what are the highlights for you both? Um, and maybe Kristen, we'll start with you in terms of progress from last year's list to this year's list. Did you see trends building? Were there companies that had been sort of on the side burner for you that you've been watching? Um, something totally out of left field that you didn't see coming that was a big surprise? What are the, what are the high points, notables for this year? That's a great question, Jen. I think for me, the highlight of this year, especially after the past two years, is seeing the return of the restaurants. Mm. Um, so this year we had 
four uh, restaurant based listers on the list, um, which is amazing. And not only um, that they're successful, but they're really successful. Like, for example, um, one of our listers, Jen Cho, he is um, the co-founder of the Boil Daddy, which is a seafood delivery chain. And he was projecting, and this was back in November, and I'm pretty sure he hit it, that he was going to bring in $15 million in revenue last year just from his seafood delivery restaurants, which is huge. Um, and he is nine on the West Coast and planning to expand to the East Coast this year, which is, and hoping to open 100 restaurants by the end of this wow, year. Wow, so 100 restaurants. Definitely someone to watch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wild. Yeah, Chloe, what do you think? I know. I just like delivery alone, right? I mean, who knew seafood could be delivered so well and have such a growing demand for it? I think that's what sticks out for me there. But no, we had so many amazing entrepreneurs on the list this year. Tam, I'm so excited to talk to you in a second. But, you know, Becca Milstein of Fishwife putting out, you know, sustainably sourced tinned seafood, um, doing some of like the hottest collaborations that we've seen on Instagram and social media this past year. And, you know, really so many others. We, we've continued to see over these, Chris and I have both been doing this, I think for what, five years now? I know I've been doing this for at least yeah. five years. And yeah. we've seen a, just a progression over time of more and more folks really putting sustainability and climate at the forefront of their work and really trying to use these businesses to attack the problems that face humanity. Yeah, that's interesting that it's become more and more central. And it's certainly something that, I mean, we've talked about delivery quite a bit on this show, and we've talked about the sustainability idea as it translates into primarily a lot of animal product replacement products is how I'll categorize them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Whether that be grown in a lab or reproduced or DNA or plant-based or whatever it may be, animal, you know, products to replace animal products seem to be at the forefront, um, which is just a very, very interesting category altogether. Yeah. Well, honestly, I'll say there, you know, part of that progression and seeing how many of these young entrepreneurs from folks who made the list, but also folks that didn't make the list over the years that we would be vetting you know, so many of these entrepreneurs were attacking, you know, the alternative protein segment and getting huge money backing from different investors. And a lot of them honestly didn't really realize what some of that capital really meant and what types of pressures and what type of timeline it put them on. And it's also part of why I wanted to write my book. And it covers a lot of this alternative protein shakeup and fallout, because a lot of it has been really driven by young people. And through my work for the 30 under 30 list, I got to see you know, how it wasn't just the big companies, the Hormels and the Tysons of the world that were trying to invest in this or even the beyonds and the impossibles, but it was so many young folks too. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, it's a total, it's always another show, but, um, yes, I'll just, I'll just put a, I'll just put a period at the end of that. So we don't go too much far down the rabbit hole. Uh, but do you see any trends? What were your top trends for new products or new technology or anything really interesting. Was there anything that was just really like futuristic, but not quite fully baked enough to make it to the list or anything like that, that you want to let us in in your 12,000 entries? (laughs) That's a good idea. That's a good thought. I mean, 
I think for me, one of my favorites on the list this year um, is the two co-founders of All I Do Is Cook, uh, Bethany and Toby. And we've been looking at them for the past two years. And uh, they run a Nigerian food um, and beverage box company. I love that. Um, and it's, they, they have the most delicious meat pies that Chloe and I and the judges got to sample this year. And I can tell you, I've been craving them since we tried them in October. Mm. Um, can we get some more of those? I know we really need them to send us some more. Um, but I think like the most interesting thing is that their problem was that they wanted Nigerian food. That's, you know, what they would cook at home. But the closest store where they could find these ingredients in Texas was 40 minutes away. And they said that all Nigerian immigrants that they talked to were facing this. So they were like, we have to do something. We don't really have any experience, but this is a huge problem and we need to solve it. Um, and so last year when we looked at them, we thought this is a really good idea, but they're still so small and we wish we could you know amplify their platform but it was too soon and then this year they've finally taken off these uh they've shipped over ten thousand boxes they are we're gonna have a million in revenue last year so this was their year and i was just really excited to see them finally make it on yeah i love their story um another example though of one that we've followed many times over the past bunch of years but still has a make i mean some there are some super super futuristic tech startups out there that we do look at and one that continues to come to mind are these super young folks i think they're maybe only 19 or 20 maybe 21 or 22 at this point we started looking at them when the main founder was 19 uh he went to indiana and was there super early and was actually working with nasa and using grant money to try to figure out how to create growing incubators kind of like a grow pod meets a you know, refrigerator, um, and, you know, kind of create these vessels that could grow food on Mars and in space as astronauts are exploring through space. And that gets into so many different kind of crazy questions of, you know, how do you make sure this is actually nutritious? And how do you give stress to these plants? Because plants actually need stress to grow and all these different, you know, confounding variables on top of obviously just the initial really hard challenges of growing food in space period. Um, and so there's one we look at, all the time, but it's, it is just still too early and too, you know, futuristic without that kind of uh, commercial market fit yet. But the future of food is upon us. And we have lots of crazy technology that we're constantly vetting and taking a look at. That makes me think of the movie, The Astronaut, The Martian. <laughs> the, is yes. that the name of it? Yeah. The, um, where yeah. he's, he's literally stuck on Mars and has to grow food? Yes. Matt Damon. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, That's a great movie. Great, great movie. Well, you know, the piece about the All I Do Is Cook Nigerian Food and Beverage Box is a great pivot into our winner, our winning guest, Tia Ivanovic, who's founder, co-founder and COO of Immigrant Food. It's so great to be here. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you for you. joining us. I mean, the, the Immigrant Food story is, you know, essentially a lot of the story of, you know, North America and, and many parts of the world. I was actually just talking with somebody um, a few days ago who is Ukrainian, who is looking for, you know, websites and grocery stores and things like that around New York to be able to buy, um, you know, food from that part of the world and having that be challenging. And, you know, I myself grew up in Hawaii and 
you can get everything in New York, but it's really hard to find Hawaiian food of all things. So certainly wanting the food of the place where you're from is, is, is real and is the, is the inspiration for a lot of businesses, but also people coming from other places, working in restaurants and uh, making food and serving food and all everything that happens in a restaurant is very satisfying work, but it's also work that you don't necessarily need to be fluent in the language where you are or other types of things like that. There's so many um, unspoken things that you can do that it, restaurants and hospitality are often points of entry for that reason for many immigrants. So Tia, tell us first about immigrant food. Tell us how and why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How and why we, we did this crazy thing. Um, no, and, and you brought up, you know, a lot of uh, great points, um, you know, about why, uh, why immigrants, you know, why food. And, and, you know, that all came really to be when we started thinking about this idea of immigrant food. And, um, you know, immigrant food is founded in D.C. and in Washington um, with the idea to celebrate all the contributions that immigrants have brought to America, all the gastronomic, you know, flavors and spices and different cooking techniques. Um, but we didn't want to just celebrate. Uh, we also wanted to advocate and educate because this is a moment in time. And when we opened, which was 2019, very much a moment in time when, um, you know, sort of the question about whether we are an immigrant nation, which we are, sort of came into, um, into question, into a discussion, which we felt was, um, you know, totally wrong. And, you know, this country was founded, is founded on immigrants, and uh, immigrants contribute so much to our economy and to our livelihood and to our culture that we wanted to find a way to fight against that sort of new intolerance that we saw all around us. Has there been a big pivot for you or a change for you from opening in 2019 in Washington, D.C., so a, a very distinct uh, political climate, a very distinct social climate, and then going through 2020, which is the pandemic and sheltering in place and, and a very big change and swing, especially for restaurants and hospitality, things closed, what do you do, how do you survive, changing of, you know, sort of some of the politics and the points of view down there. How, how has all that impacted your business? I mean, opening a new restaurant, a restaurant group is extremely challenging. Opening one with this focal point through these really turbulent times. I mean, it sounds like hyperbole, but I think it's almost an understatement. How, how did that impact your business? Did it just vet out what you knew to be true? Did you have to change things midstream? Um, yeah, it's, it's such a great question. I mean, we opened in November 2019. So we really, you know, we always joke, it's a really good time to start a restaurant, right? Three months before the pandemic. Um, because three months later, you know, everything um, shut down, uh, as you guys all remember. And we opened right next to the White House, which was very intentional um, from, you know, kind of a political standpoint. We wanted to be... Um, there um, and very obviously there with, you know, big sign that says immigrant food next to, you know, White House that at the time, you know, very much did not believe that immigrants were uh, good for this country and had all these terrible things to say um, about immigrants. And so, you know, we, we did, we had to shift quite a lot because in March, 2020, there was no one on the street anymore. I mean, it was a complete ghost town. 
Um, so we had to figure out really creative ways to bring people to a restaurant that had just opened three months earlier, right? No one knew. We didn't have an established brand. I mean, we didn't have an established audience. And, you know, we had to get people to, to get to know us, um, you know, at this crazy time. Um, so we did um, really inventive things like arepa cooking classes or chefs is Venezuelan and, you know, wine boxes. Um, but also, you know, the advocacy piece is very much at the core of who we are. So we always say there's two beating hearts. There's the gastronomy, but there's also the advocacy and the mission. So, for example, we did this um, uh, this big virtual event with one of the attorneys on the case of the DACA recipients, right as it was going to the Supreme Court. Um, and so it was sort of a, a way where we did like, okay, if you order immigrant food, you get, you know, like a discount, but you can also listen to this lawyer talking about, you know, why dreamers are so important and, and have that conversation. So that's, that's really what we did. And it was every week, something different, again, to establish the brand and to, you know, have people get to know us. And, um, you know, to your point also is one in four restaurants closed during the pandemic in America and we survived and we believe that we survived um, as one of, was it three out of uh, nine restaurants on our block? I mean, six of them closed on our block. Um, and we survived because we, we had this mission and people really connected with that. And people wanted to come to a place that believes in the same values that they believe in. And, and you know, that's really been our guiding star. Did you coin the phrase or the term gastro-advocacy? So uh, I believe it was the Washington Post that um, coined the term when they wrote about us when we just opened, um, and it was it's so perfect. It's exactly what we do. So um, you know we we have not heard of another restaurant group that does this. We wish we could you know have emulated someone else. Um, there's obviously great restaurant groups that do um, wonderful things like hire refugees or you know, do other things that are, um, you know, on the kind of corporate social responsibility side. Uh, but we wanted to take it in a bit of a different way. So everything we do um, has that dual mission of providing great food while also serving the community and, and really taking a stance on immigration. That is a perfect segue into the dual mission of Heritage Radio. Um, actually, perhaps more than a dual mission. Did you know that we're a 501c3 nonprofit? We are committed and dedicated to a more delicious life for everyone and recording and sharing our stories to hold for each other and for the future. We have, I think, upwards of 15,000 episodes now on Heritage Radio. And I'd say all that because we're going to find out who is sponsoring this episode because like all businesses, we need support many of whom are members like yourselves who are listening, and often grants and sometimes underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese... The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, the 12th annual list that we've been covering since January of 2015. We are specifically looking at the food and drink category. It's it's a great great thing to read if you're just interested in finding out what's going on in the world. They actually look at 12,000 companies across a number of categories and identify who is really making a difference. It's a lot of interesting businesses. And one of my favorite pieces of the entire 30 under 30 package is they do a great by the numbers. And I love the by the numbers because, you know, you can get a good, good view. Um, You know, funding, $5.3 billion with a B in funding these companies have raised. That's amazing. Average age, 27 years old. The youngest are 15. I mean, think about what you were doing when you were 15, if you're not 15. (laughs) And it certainly wasn't starting a, you know, impactful, innovative company. But to point, we are talking with uh, Tia Ivanovic, who is the co-founder and COO of a company called Immigrant Foods. And I note that 49% of the individuals identify as people of color and 23% of them are immigrants. So that's saying something, not just about the people on this list who are inventing things and, and trying to change the world, but also Tia you know, it perhaps speaks to who your market is potentially also. Yeah, I, I think so. And and we all, we always say, you know, every, you're, you're an immigrant, right? Everyone's an immigrant unless you're Native American. You've come from somewhere. And whether it's, you know, first generation, I came here when I was 16 um, from Belgium and my family's Serbian. But, you know, whether it's fifth generation or seventh generation, I mean, you have family or you have some connection with, with your immigrant heritage. And, um, and surprisingly, a lot of you know, people connect with that. So take us to this year and being on the under 30 list. How did you find out you were on the list? Oh, my God, it's a great story, actually. Um, and, um, you know, I've wanted obviously everyone wants to be on the list right it's such a it's such a great honor um and such a great recognition of all the hard work um i think and i've met some unbelievable people um who, who are on the list and so i was waiting right we're just waiting and my our publicist calls me at like 6 30 in the morning uh which she, she usually doesn't do <laughs> and so i pick up the phone and i'm thinking you know what could it be i mean you know what happened and she's like, um, you know, are you sitting down? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, yes, I am. She's like, no, it's good news. You're on the list. And, um, and so that's how I found out. So it was, um, it was a great, great surprise early in the morning. And how has the experience been thus far? It's been really wonderful. Um, it's just been so also great to meet Kristen. I met her in person for the first time in December at the launch party. And, um, you know, the editors and Kristen and Chloe, your whole team does such an amazing job. Um, 
I was so stunned to hear 12,000 applications. You go through all of them. You really take um, a deep look at things. And um, that's, that's, really, that's really amazing. Um, and so it's just been wonderful to meet other um, people on the list and all the things that they do. And it's, it's a great opportunity to you know, make new friends and uh, people who, who are, even if they're not doing the same thing you're doing, right? They're, they're doing something really interesting. And um, I just love meeting people like that. Thank you, Dan. I loved meeting you too, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, the first episode that we did, one of the class of 2015 was the founder of Caviar. Have you heard of Caviar, the little food delivery service? Of course we have. We, <laughs> we, we use yeah. them as well at the yeah. restaurant. So, I mean, that's one. Of, that's always a great story of like, oh, you know, they just won. They were so excited. He told the story about, you know, working late in San Francisco and wanting to get the food that they wanted. And then, you know, a few years later, like, there it is. It's a, it's a giant, giant, like, full-blown, big, real company. So it's also amazing. Um, Chloe, how is it, Chloe and Kristen, how is it watching the companies, you know, to, to point to that story, how is it watching the companies evolve? Do you have favorite ones from years past that are just completely blooming and growing into everything you knew that they would be? Hmm. I think one for me that I never thought would be as big as it was is the super coffee, um, the DeSisio brothers, because um, I had, I think it was back in 2017 and I was at a friend's house in Philly and she was drinking something she got at her like local corner store. And I asked her what that was. And she said, oh, it's the super coffee. You guys should look at them for under 30. And I have never heard of it. And now I see it everywhere. And Chloe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we put them as our all-star alumni last year too, because they'd blown up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So far beyond their shark tank days. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, there are the ones, especially... There are a few, you know, particularly more mission-driven founders who maybe made the list who uh, made the list when they their their finances weren't as high as some of the others. But you know, like Siete Foods, for example, Miguel Garza, the whole Garza family. That is such an amazing story. When they were on our list, I think their revenue was you know a quarter of a million dollars, or you know, really really small and really really tiny funding. But uh, you know, they've grown into this huge brand that's taking over the chip style taking over the refrigerated tortillas launching enchilada sauces different spices really getting into all these different corners of the grocery store and spreading a really important mission to you know have authentic accessible mexican-american foods um and doing it in such a way that um, has been really inspiring and exciting to see uh regrained a company that has a lot of food waste is another really great example there are a few you know, that really have exploded and, and, and gone the extra distance that we've been super excited to see. But obviously, also, there are the opposite ends of that story. There are the ones that, you know, have gotten so big, and then, um, you know, have had had issues or have, you know, um, gone bust a little bit. So there's always the good and the bad, but the stories are always like, thrilling to follow. We've done shows where founders close and they pivot you know, also because that's also very much a part of the startup story, especially in the tech space. And closing up shop or pivoting away from something doesn't always necessarily equate with failure as much as iteration. Um, but it is an interesting process, uh, for sure. One of the um, 
one of the other kind of interesting things about, you know, how companies grow or not is the point of view of founders who are very specifically looking to exit and founders who have a strategy of I am in this for two to five years and this is my exit or founders who are, this is my business. This is going to be my, you know, my life's work and I'm in it for a very, very long time. And both can be successful, you know, financially, if the exits are successful, that usually means they sell it to a larger company and make a ton of money and then move on. But strategically, sort of the mind frame of someone who's who's building something to ultimately sell it versus somebody who's building something to stay with it and live with it, I think are, are two different things. Have you... Is, is that something that you have come across when you're talking with founders or you're looking at it really from a, a snapshot of finances and development and uh, impact and category, like at this moment in time without too, you don't necessarily no, always, need to think about that. We're always looking at, at who their funding is, if they have funding and where that's coming from and what types of pressures or what types of timeline, what types of strategies that will kind of make them have to adhere to. So that's very much a big part of this. And while we are looking at these finances as a snapshot, we really do take the whole picture into consideration. What investors are behind it? Are there big funds behind it? Is it really a founder-driven concept? Is it a founder-driven business? Or is it something more so that a bunch of investors are really trying to kind of pick apart? And there have really been a lot especially as, you know, maybe a year or two years ago when there was so much funding flowing into the future of food that there was this this really, uh, you know, big tension arising with, you know, a lot of founders, you know, not exactly getting preyed upon, but, you know, definitely a lot of money getting thrown at them and maybe them not really realizing what a liquidation preference is or what types of, you know, uh, they had strategies they'd have to adhere to by taking some of this money. I, I totally agree. And, and just on, on, from my perspective, we are currently going through a capital raise to open the next set of locations. And so it's very much the, the discussion between, you know, are we going to go for a you know, bigger VC or a smaller set of investors? How much equity do you give up versus do you want to do some combination of debt and how much that is? I mean, it's all these things, which there is no textbook for it, right? Um, and, you know, you kind of have to, a lot of it is go with your gut and kind of, um, you know, uh, see where you want to go and what you want to do. And it's, it's not as straightforward as I think maybe I thought when we started this journey. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and to plug my friend Chloe again here, um, Chloe, this reminds me of a fascinating conversation that Chloe had last week um, in Brooklyn with one of our under 30 listers from a few years ago, um, the Farm to People co-founders. And they were talking about this very thing. Um, and, you know, he's a, a local um, Brooklyn entrepreneur who wants to support local farmers with these food delivery boxes. And I think one of the audience members asked him, you know, like, you know, what would make you exit or go public or, or are you taking on any investor money? And it's something that I feel like we don't see too much in the food and drink list, whereas with a lot of the other lists, you can tell a lot of these people just want to have their next big exit or, or, you know, go on to the next thing. But I think most of our, our food and drink listers are really 
passionate about the work they do and this is their passion project, whether it's like UTA or it's advocacy or, or something else. Um, it's a really unique category in that sense. Right. And even with an exit, you know, you want to go with, if, you know, if we exit and when we exit, um, you know, you want to go with a partner, right? You want to go with someone who believes in your mission. And I think maybe in other categories, that's not so relevant. We really do try to make sure that the folks who are putting on this list are not just trying to get on this list and sell their company in a year, just, you know, as a, you know, selling it to an Amazon or a strategic and essentially then having their company get stripped down for parts, which does happen. We really are, are, are looking to support companies and highlight companies that and founders that are, you know, going the extra distance and looking at this from a long-term perspective. Well, Farm to People is a great, is a great, great company. Um, and I had them on the show before they won Forbes Under 30, actually, that um, Michael wow. and his father. And I had them on the show. Oh, I'm trying to figure out which, um, which episode it was because it was so long ago. But I had them on because it's, it's a family business. It's, you know, they have family heritage and legacy. You know, Michael, I had him on because at the time, I think he was barely 20 and was running this business that was that came out of his family's grocery business. So really very like dedicated and committed to it. And I think he came on again also when he won um, and has been on before also just because he's so young. I think I did a, a, a show about founders who are like under 20 or something like that. Anyway, but yeah, really fantastic. And I think that they're a perfect example of a family business that, you know, people grow up in and they understand or have an affinity for uh, a point of view or making something happen in the world and then continue that. But for this generation or this marketplace or this, you know, this, you know, century in time, and then take the same idea, but articulate it in a way that more people can connect with it. So instead of it being like the little small health food store that's in your neighborhood, now it's you go online and you can order stuff and then it shows up, which is very much in keeping with the convenience of the era, but then it has the same, um, you know, sort of ethos and product under the hood. Very interesting, though. We love them. We should have them back on. Um, note, note to sell for 2023. Note to our programmer, me. <laughs> So coming to the end of the show, we only have a couple minutes left, which is always sad because I know that we could be talking for a long time. Uh, I'll ask everyone the same question. What are you looking at for 2023? What's what's coming your way? What are the projects that are on deck? What are the trends that you're seeing? What's um, most impactful for you right now? What's the story that you're following the most? Um, what's the big thing you're going to, you know, the big, the big, big thing on your to-do list. Tell us about 2023, Kristen. I know you're going to Europe, but aside from that, which is exciting. Yes. Um, so I think my number one focus right now is our, our Europe list and looking at European entrepreneurs. So quick plug, if anyone has any suggestions or recommendations for the list who I should be looking at, feel free to email them, DM me, Instagram, Twitter. I am all ears for young uh, European entrepreneurs. What are the categories for Europe? Just so that we can cover off. That's a off. great question. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so we have art and culture, entertainment, finance, 
in manufacturing and industry, media and marketing, retail and e-commerce, science and healthcare, social impact, sports and games, and technology. Okay. So new food and drink, Kristen. <laughs> no food and drink, but they typically fit into art and culture. And that'll be more of uh, the restaurants, the uh, drink brands. And then for retail, it's more of the CPG stuff. Um, hopefully for the future, we can have our own food and drink list in Europe. But it's split between those two for now, unfortunately. But definitely, definitely the future. <laughs> and I really want to get more um, women entrepreneurs. It's a way harder in Europe. And I, I went to Israel for our under 30 summit last year, but um, a lot of people who were there were telling me that it's really hard to be a women entrepreneur in Europe right now. They just are years behind where the funding is going in North America, which is still not great. So really looking to tell those stories and highlight um, women entrepreneurs this year. Okay, well, that sounds great. We're, you're, we're closing the gap on the list here, though, on the By the Numbers page. We had 1% non-binary, 40% female, and 59% male. So gap is closing. It is. Yeah, gender parity this year tied our all-time high in 2021. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful it'll happen in Europe, too. Okay. Um, I'll t- I'll t- you know, after, after this show, I'll think there might be a couple of things I could suggest to you. Let me, maybe it might be interesting. Um, how about you, Chloe? What, what is big on your agenda for 2023? Gosh, I am just so excited that the book is now out. I'm going to be bringing it out to this universe. I'm also going to be getting back into some really deep reporting, going to be doing the investigative work that I love. Well, obviously I'm not doing the 30 under 30. So, you know, thank God there isn't a Europe list because I need to be able to spend some time looking at climate (laughs) and, you know, doing some digging. We have a big farm bill coming up in the spring. That's going to be a crazy fight. And it's probably one of the most important farm bills we've ever had in terms of the next five years of funding for food and climate just being such a crucial time. I mean, we, we need to make significant change for climate change now. Um, and so I'm really excited about reporting on that and all the different programs that are getting funding and the folks that are trying to profit and really bringing readers into that story deeper. There's so much information to process. Um, and, you know, a, a watershed moment like the farm bill is, is a good way for people to, for maybe it to like rise to the surface and people to think about it in a more kind of timely and, and urgent way. Um but like all the categories, you know, bringing that to the forefront and then sort of trying to unpack everything. You know, we did a show about, you know, plant-based, some plant-based meats. And plant-based meat doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the environment or a person. Absolutely. So there's this whole, there's the the flip side of all these things, which the motivation for much of it is is positive impact for people and planet. And then we see the product and we think, oh, positive impact for people and planet, but actually not so. So, I mean, it's... And who's profiting. Exactly. So we've, I guess that that whole new new market has evolved enough to have an underside to it. So I guess that's progress. <laughs> um, Tia, what's on tap for you for 2023? An immigrant yeah, food? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, food, um, the food industry as a whole and the restaurant industry specifically is really at a crossroads. And, you know, I really liked what 
person started with, which is it was great to have, you know, some restaurant representation on our list this year. Um, but you guys have, you know, heard and followed probably the, you know, Noma is closing. The question of fine dining model um, is, is put into question. And I think a lot of it is uh, I'm looking at a lot of that, which is what does that mean for us? Um, there are some pressures and that's probably a whole other show, Jennifer, um, you know, labor on, on, you know, the labor model for restaurants, right. The food costing model, um, and so on and, and so forth. So, um, looking a lot at that, um, as we are, you know, aggressively expanding and, you know, looking at new locations, um, and, you know, eventually hopefully moving to a new city as well. So, you know, I think 2023 will be a big year. Uh, we've had some great additions to our team, Last year, some important hires. So I'm looking at this year to really um, propel us forward. Well, a lot of things. It sounds like you have a lot going on, which is great. And then taking in some funding to make all that happen. Um, one of the things on your to-do list, if you haven't done it, should be to uh, maybe register Mark Astro Advocacy. I mean, does somebody own that yet? Because it's a great word. <laughs> Buy the website, get all the handles, yeah. all those. That's the marketer and me coming out. We're on it. <laughs> it's really good. And, you know... Uh, restaurants, always, always um, interesting, always so much to talk about. Uh, you know, the pandemic was, was you know, gut-wrenching and heartbreaking and gutted much of the restaurant, but it also provided an opportunity for the industry to self-correct in terms of pricing and pay and what, what the job descriptions are and the workload and sort of bring it into alignment with what things actually cost and how people should actually be working and living. Um, so it was maybe a difficult time, but I hope that coming out of it, it's an opportunity to um, reopen and build things uh, that that are in alignment with with the values that you know we have today. One of the other things about your restaurant group, which is nice, and I note that we're four women on the phone today, which I love. And at your restaurant group, you have like half of your staff are women immigrants, which is great. Um, also responsible for running a we lot do. of the country, probably. It makes me think of Hot Bread Kitchen, <laughs> which is another company that I love. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was important to have, you know, both staff and management team, right? Because uh, as, as you know all very well, it's often, you know, uh, equity and equality can happen sort of at the lower level. But then as you keep going up and up and up, it's less and less and less. And that was that was very important for us. And it's, you know, it's a it's a conscious choice, but honestly, it's not that hard and it hasn't been that hard for us. And my co-founder joked, uh, we have interns every semester and um, many of them end up being women. Um, and he's like, well, are you only hiring women? And I'm like, no, it's I mean, I'm looking at the best candidate. They just happen to be women. Not much I can do about that. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, on Tech Bytes for 2023, we will be dropping a new episode pretty much every week like we've done for the past few years. We are looking at food and technology like we always are, but things that we are particularly interested in right now, we're interested in robots and automation in restaurants, in agriculture, um, in the home, out in the world, making your deliveries. Um, if you are a company or a developer with robotics, let us know. That's always a lot of fun. Um, we are very interested in delivery. We did a series about delivery. We covered delivery. Delivery has become a critical piece of the food 
industry, food sales, the food business, whether it's grocery delivery or restaurant delivery, um, ordering, mail order delivery, catalog, all of that, delivery has become very important. And we're particularly interested in the last mile, particularly interested in the last mile delivery, where it's a person who brings your food to your door from where it was made. And we're so concerned in this time about where our food comes from, but somehow it stops when it gets to the delivery person. And we haven't quite reached the same concern or awareness about the delivery people as we have for, say, the farmers or the people processing or working in the factory or the farm or the kitchen. Um, so it's an interesting uh, blind spot, an interesting gap. I'm, I'm waiting. Maybe maybe on the, one of the Forbes 30 under 30 list, there'll be an entrepreneur who builds a better last mile delivery solution. Because I'm still waiting for that. We've had a lot of entrepreneurs who are getting you food faster, but no one's making it better for the workers. So we're watching that. Um, we love women founders. We love women companies. Um, we love women who finance. We're going to be doing some shows on financing um, and what investors are looking at. Um, and anything fun. You know, we love fun tech. We love future tech. We love wearable tech. We love food tech. We also um, love actual futuristic food. If there's any, you know, we talked about uh, incubators to grow food on Mars and in space with NASA. I mean, you know, rocket ship food is fun too, like your basic astronaut ice cream. Who remembers that? If you have a great <laughs> idea or you are a company or you'd like to get in touch about something, um, or just to say hello or say you enjoyed a show, you can reach out to us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are on Instagram and social media at techbyteshrn. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. We are always looking for new members at Heritage Radio Network. Go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and send us maybe what you are going to spend today on lunch. It'll help us keep the lights on and the mics hot and make more radio. And if you really think Heritage Radio Network, who's been around for more than a decade, is important to pass the mic and shine a light on some of these stories, to record them, to share them, to keep them, to listen to them in the future, think about underwriting the show. We're also lining up our underwriter list for 2023, and we probably have a seat for you. So again... I want to thank Kristen Stoller, editor of Forbes, 30 Under 30, Chloe Savino, writer, author of The Raw Deal, Tia Ivanovic, co-founder and CEO of Immigrant Foods, for joining me today on the first show of 2023. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. And we'll, we'll talk to you next year, and maybe Kristen will talk to you when Europe happens later this year. Absolutely. Would love to come back. Great. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.